What is up, Asymmetry? How y'all doing? Well, in celebration slash preparation for the very rapidly approaching Pacific Bonsai Expo, we circle back to talk to uh, a very pivotal personality in the public institutions of bonsai in North America, Aaron Packard, curator of the Pacific Bonsai Museum, uh, to see what he's up to, to touch on and just uh, uh, get a pulse on where his head is at creatively, curatorially, um, and as it usually does with Aaron, we we both served the function of being the question asker and the question answerer. Uh, it was a it was a lovely conversation, uh, absolutely lovely conversation. It got better and better over the course of uh, the two hours, and at the end, I think, really just pointed out how valuable uh, curators like Aaron are, and collections like the Pacific Bonsai Museum uh, can be to a bonsai community. Anyways, sit back, relax, and enjoy Aaron Packard as we celebrate and we uh, count down to the Pacific Bonsai Expo. Oh, there Ooh, it is. I heard I something. Hear some, yep, I hear magic. Check, check, check. check. Oh, there, there we is. go. There, there it is. is. That was on what would we do without Jesus? Not much. It's incredible. Not we much. just sit here and stare at the screen and wonder why we can't. We'd be anything. like, shit, we can't figure this out. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. No, no, you're good. How, uh, yeah, man, how are you guys doing? Uh, Friday. Yeah, it's it's a thankless Friday. <laughs> nice. Well, in some pla- in talking. some parts of the world, it's a red scarf Friday. That's right. That's at the, right. At the Pacific Bonesai Museum, it's Red Scarf Friday. Scarves up. It's cold. It's cold, man. It's cold in the mornings now. So is it really? God, it's not. It is not cold here. It's like I I'm wearing short sleeves every morning. You've been but, rocking uh, some shorts what? too. Yeah. You're leaning into it. Yeah. It's like uh, mi- middle of October. It's it feels like it's August. Yeah, we got uh, you know upper seventies this weekend, but you guys are probably in the eighties. Yeah, we're like, like mid, we're like mid to high eighties. We might even tap ninety. Holy smokes! They said it couldn't be done. Uh huh. We're proving them all wrong. Defying everything. Yeah. Yeah. Defying all logic. Now it is a little crazy. I don't know. We're we're working on. Uh, working out fertilization and like literally half the deciduous trees haven't even started changing color yet it's like should we should we fertilize them like what do we do here yeah yeah no ours are are holding tough they like uh we've gotten a second a second push for all the junipers decided to start growing again in september so yeah yeah, things unprecedented Mm -hmm. unprecedented uh weather so. Yeah, you know what would just be insult to injury is if like we're looking at the weather and in ten days it's like yeah seventy five seventy three seventy one twenty two that yeah, would, right. that would be challenging that would <laughs> which, be challenging which is completely possible it's, it's totally possible a new parabolic curve never seen before yeah it is weird the yeah. seasons are like the seasons are like disaligning and um. The seasons are like disaligning and realigning, uh, so the temperature and daylight length don't overlap in the way that we're used to anymore. It's like short day, short day lengths, but they're eighty-five degrees. It's super weird. Right. Like I, I can't imagine. They talked about the seasons having like started a a pretty major shift. This is a discussion. Oh, really? Yeah, a conversation last year where like literally the 
the seasons are shifting. I mean, I know our spring for the past several years has been long and cold and wet later into the year. And then we had like super hot summer and now it's October and it's still 85. Super cold and wet this last Super one. cold and wet. It was like the longest, coldest, wettest spring on record or something. And then it went to the hottest summer on record. Yeah. Yeah. We're supposed to have another La Nina winter, but it's supposed to pull out before the spring next year. So more cold and snow uh, this winter. Um, so get those shoveling, shoveling shoes out, Ira. Don't, don't, don't get Sounds them. great. Or <laughs> you moved, moved to Vegas to move from Vegas to shovel snow and Portland. Yeah, we have Marai branded uh, uh, snowshoes that we're going to bring out this that, year. That that actually was the most upsetting thing about the Pacific Northwest to me, is I moved here and that, there was just a ton of snow, and I was like, "What?" As aver- as not advertised by Randy That's, Knight. Nobody told me that that, I, and I I had to assume. I'm like, it's it's like it's pretty far north. It's got to snow a lot, and people are like, "No, no, it doesn't." It turns out people are delusional that live around here. Warren's like a little bit of a microclimate kind of vibe, though, too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something. Everything's right. Like, the Pacific Northwest is nothing but microclimates. I think the whole West Coast is nothing but microclimates. Yeah. That seems to be a significant topic and discussion along the West Coast. Nobody in the Midwest is like, yeah, we just live in a microclimate. (laughs) <laughs> nobody's, nobody's yeah, saying a microclimate that. called nebraska when you're driving across nebraska nobody's like yeah we just live in this sweet little microclimate it's like no we live in nebraska man yeah. which Iowa. which which i will say I, I will say after the last covered wagon each time i drive across nebraska i appreciate it more the very first time i was like well this is a place i don't need to come back to now i'm like all right yeah it's time to drive through nebraska Let's it's it. it's really beautiful it is beautiful. Game for you. Like, what's been that that perspective switch? Um, probably positive association. Okay, I'm guessing more than anything, you know, because uh, you know what to expect now, and it's like you know, driving across Nebraska, it's flat, it's straight, and um, and the trees tend to look the same from start to finish. There's some there's some minor diversity. But there's like a there's like a real uh, ease to that sort of consistency after driving across, you know, the western portion, you know, west of the Rockies. It's it's a nice it's a nice change. Uh, White knuckling it over the passes and mm-hmm. yeah yeah lightning, lots of curves the canyons the yeah the Ogden you know Ogden Utah the canyon between that and eighty headed into wyoming and that's intense it's pretty gnarly and then you get into uh and then you get into wyoming and the wind picks up and it's just like so rugged uh that by the time you get to nebraska not saying nebraska is not windy but uh it's just nice to have a little bit of a straight road and some consistency to chill out and you might have had a night's sleep in there too yeah it's also it, it it is possible that it is like the reprieve from you know an 18 hour grind banger yeah getting through yeah the western part did of Cheyenne. Both, uh, did both of you guys go on the covered wagon? You guys just got back from the east coast. Was that a both yeah. you or no? Yeah. I I was I was stayed behind. I had a I had a different co pilot and and we had a good time. Yeah, but there there is a there is a synergy between Ira and I on the covered wagon that is undeniable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we get into a pretty good groove. Yeah, it's good. It's good. 
It's fun. I don't know. It's an it adventure. Fun. It's, an, it's, it's an adventure it's a great time. American adventure driving across the country. Yeah. Right, I think we've got computer oh. success. Oh, this could be exciting. Wow, things are about ready to I improve. See some, I see some headphones coming on. Yeah, so let's see here. You look like you're right. about to log into like Call of Duty or something. You've got this, you've got like a, a gamer vibe. Yeah, you got my DJ. <laughs> the DJ vibe. Uh-huh. The one up one. Oh. So yeah, are you, uh, are Scarlett you gave us a great mixtape once. <laughs> That's not true. PBM mixtape. PBM mixtape. There All it right. is. Here we go. So we're doing the switch. Doing the switch. The full switcheroo. Oh my oh, goodness wow. gracious! Now, Jesus, Jesus, now we smiled. Got, now we got a mic. That's great. Let's just take this okay. from the top. <laughs> All right, let me close the door. That's a lot better. Yeah, that's much better. Yeah, that's gonna. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. That's gonna be far more pleasant. Wait, do you actually have a microphone on those? Those, what is this like, Maverick or something? Those look like military headphones. Call sign Red Scarf. (laughs) Yeah, no, the mics on the on the uh, webcam. Oh, that's. I got. I got. got, Yeah. This is great. It is around. I don't. We just uh, duct tape and just you know slap it together. I love it. Figure figure it out, man. Figure it out. I love it. When I was yeah. in uh, when I was in college, <laughs> I, I I stopped at a truck stop um, and picked up one of those like headsets, like a trucker headset, you know, that had yeah, like the did. microphone and everything. Because because earpods didn't exist in the early two thousands, but trucker headsets did, you know. Mm. And then I could go hands free and just do whatever I needed to do. <laughs> I wish there. Were, do we have do we have footage or video of that? Oh, I don't, there's like something? a picture somewhere. It, it's pretty excellent. It's pretty excellent. And I was listening to like uh, Japanese language CDs, oh, you gosh, know, constantly. The Pimsleur <laughs> approach. Did you have your uh, Discman? Uh, well, I had a CD player in my truck, so I didn't have a Discman. It was that next step. But I, I did <laughs> the headset, I thought. And, and like anybody that would ride with me in my truck, which was very infrequent because, you know, I lived in a college house filled with a bunch of... Uh, college guys you know so they were it was like the kagers on friday night that i was like skipping to be on the road early saturday morning to go do bonsai nobody else was following me yeah that following weird, my lead on that right that weird guy ryan never wants to party yeah, he he's never wants going to hang out like, wants to go well, dig up trees and driving yeah he's driving to the mountains tomorrow to do god <laughs> knows what but the headset the few times that i busted out the headset when people were in my truck they were like what is this this is incredible this is that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen i, I think like, josh yeah, sales like, rocks a headset in the uh in the honda civic with uh, some regularity it's good vibes it's good vibes yeah. bringing it now back you weren't you weren't djing those parties though huh you, you, no you the, no the entertainment that was after i sold my turntables Ah, okay that was after before i sold my turntables there was definitely a slight identity crisis as to what was ryan's primary priority bonsai or djing and uh and then and then it it really came down to recognizing that a career uh, constructed from midnight engagements and not being awake during the day wasn't going to be healthy for me. Yeah, there was some article I saw. I didn't read it, but the headline was about you know a lot a day in the life of the Ibiza you know DJs who are basically yeah up from you know the whole night and yeah. just nonstop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a, I had a really I had a really good friend who had like some close proximity to Paul Van Dyke and like 
uh, how his life looked as like a world famous DJ. And it sounds so unappealing to me. I don't even know who these people are. I'm so not in that. I mean, as a 20 year old, yeah, but like, uh, you familiar with Tiesto? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I saw mean, the, the, he, billboards in Vegas. That's how I. That's yeah, the, yeah, the I guy mean, that wears the mark. That's a different guy. There's a guy that wears like a marshmallow our, head. Or I think something. he's older than us, and he's oh, that's yeah, that's marshmallow. Uh, <laughs> that's not just a clever name. Uh, no, but like uh, you know, Tiesto <laughs> still still rocking it out. Yeah, he's I think in his either late forties or early fifties. So yeah, it's like Carl Cox is still going hard. I mean, <laughs> like people that gravitate to that lifestyle, I get it, but. I, I would take bonsai all day long. <laughs> yeah. Call you can me. Still listen to call music me and do bonsai. Yeah. Yeah, you can, but you can't be, uh, I would say it would be very challenging to be DJing and doing bonsai. Can't I just, do that. I just flash back to, mm. this is on the Mariah live library somewhere. The launch party you guys had, oh, when yeah. you were like working on a redwood, uh-huh. I think I was working on a, I was a working condo. on a, a spruce. Oh, okay. A spruce. Oh, it, was a spruce? Okay. Uh-huh. it was a green tree. It had brown branches. I <laughs> yeah. think if I remember, that's about right. all you can see too. In a pot. Yeah, and, and their music's yeah. blaring. Everybody's like drinking beers, and you're just like, "Should I cut this one off? What about this one?" Yeah, it was like right. kind of like, the yeah. crowd engagement. <laughs> was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, fun. We, that was really we, fun. We were there for that. Yeah, God, that was fun. People, mm-hmm. people really drank a, a large amount of alcohol that night. Turns, turns out, when you have open bar, people people like to take advantage <laughs> of that. That's a weird weird phenomenon. I have an open bar, a DJ, and some guy making a boneside tree. It it creates an interesting vibe. <laughs> It's, it's we should we could do it again i think i think there's probably something there with uh simultaneous djing while styling a tree yeah 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 lock it up i i, I gotta tell you i went to the most amazing live music performance last night what i did yeah i did impromptu then uh it was yep i found out as i was leaving here that i was going there these are the best ways to <laughs> and, do things and it was inside of uh, an old church that had been sort of like turned into a concert facility hall but it's very small right and uh and it was a pianist and then a gentleman who played the violin and the guitar and a third individual who i can only after the fact and thinking about my experience only sort of assume that he was there for the lead meditation because there was a meditation prior to the music starting and then there was continued meditation the entire concert. What were you doing? But I was I was in. What do you mean? What was I doing? I don't know. I'm not going to go do something like that and be half in. I'm all the way. All the I'm way. all the way. I was deep. I went deep. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, did you get your Kool Aid, Mister well, Neil? Well, but here's the thing: is they had so many effects on her voice and on the piano and stuff that it was like it was like electronica. Mm. interesting it was soup and then this guy's like leading this meditation as there's like electronic music and we're all in these church pews like in this space where this concert is happening and just bear in mind i don't know anybody there i didn't know what the hell i was going to see i just walked into this space and i was like oh this is what we're doing Uh, all right (laughs) it was amazing grab a crystal bowl taft Taft was with me taft was all about it interesting he was like this is the coolest thing i've been to i was like i i'm kind of digging it too i could be i could curb my enthusiasm for it by being judgmental but why would i do that when you can just enjoy it when you can just sit back and enjoy it <laughs> it was awesome i think that actually was the best yeah, yeah. super talented wasn't that on, event called on, uh, branched out 
<laughs> Wasn't that what that thing was called last night, or was that a different one, Aaron? I can't, I mean, I maybe there's some overlap. I'm getting confused. Yeah, how'd that yeah, go? Absolutely. How did how branched out go? Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, super successful as 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 successful as you could have hoped for. You know, this was the second one we did. Um, the first one was just before uh, COVID in 2019 we did it here at the museum and this one really kind of took it to the next level being at the corporate headquarters you know inside the the warehouse or uh building uh and just being in that building like even without you know uh having much else to do is pretty uh phenomenal you know just to like walk around yeah. in this you know uh, eighty thousand square foot open floor plan kind of you know floor um and the windows and just how everything is is framed the weather obviously you know always a dice roll um in the pacific northwest in october or end of september um but it was you know gorgeous 77 degrees and um the trees looked awesome you know we had the trees kind of spaced out throughout the the long corridor there had a great turnout sold it out um and kind of the whole point of it is our, you know, major marquee fundraiser for the museum. And uh, we totally crushed our goal, um, which was awesome. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just like uh, really good. meet the goal, but uh, like doubled it almost. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, so it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Um, so that feels good. I think, you know, just as an organization leveling up the, um, that event. Uh, so huge kudos to, um, you know, our uh, program to, coordinator uh, uh shayla and pat and all of our staff you know it's a it's a team effort as all these things are so um, yeah. i i kind of just got to show up and enjoy uh all the hard work that everyone else had done um but uh, it was great had a good community turnout you know D D uh, dave showed up uh dan and Di uh, diane robinson showed up and then you know a lot of our volunteers and other um people you know fan supporters and then just new new people who wanted to kind of just see the be in the building because you don't get to go in there uh anytime you want so that was really a, a big draw too so hopefully we'll be able to do it again there um but you know uh it's kind of set a new a new bar for for what we do here which you know is always the challenge is how are you going to top that that's like kind of the the common uh response to whether it's an ex exhibition or program but uh yeah. Nice. Yeah, you know how that you know how that goes, right? So what's, what's, how are you going to do it better next time? It's yeah, like, yeah. We'll, we'll find a way, I guess, right? But yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, and just to throw that out, like people can still uh, support us, you know, just because the fundraiser's over. If anyone is interested in donating to the museum, just to help continue our work and caring caring for the collection, you know, they can go to our website, uh, PacificBonsaiMuseum.org, and uh, donate there too. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and sure. yeah. I mean, like what, so what is it like operating a public bonsai institution post post pandemic and sort of where we're at now, you know, economy having uh, some challenging vibes, you guys able to, I mean, you just had the most successful event um, in your history. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we've seen pretty consistent growth in our visitation even through COVID because, you know, what a great space to come to, uh, it's outside, you know, when we, when we opened up in July of 2020, um, you know, uh, it was really kind of one of the only places, you know, m most indoor things were still closed then, you know, mm -hmm. movie theaters, you know, you, you didn't want to be out for too long inside enclosed spaces in, in the summer of 2020. So, um, it really did provide, I think, a place for people to go get out of the house, but still feel safe. Um, so yeah, we just continued to see, um, visitation growing every year since then and i don't know where we're at i'm but 
last year we broke an all-time record. I'm probably, uh, think we're going to probably do that again this year, break last year's record. So, um, yeah, things are just, you know, it feels like, uh, and I don't know, maybe you can speak to this too with Mirai. There's, there's a, there's kind of feels like a tipping point where you've, you're investing the work and, and even with bonsai itself, there's kind of like a, a point where you're working towards the system becoming not so much self-sustaining, but it's not requiring so much like, um, initiate initial investment for a little return it feels like there's a little bit more like return on the investment right or like things kind of are starting to get some more momentum uh built into it to where uh it's not as hard you know to do the same quality of work the same amount of work but you're only getting maybe a third of the growth you're kind of hoping for um so i think we're kind of close to that point as yeah. a, as pbm coming into uh this is my it'd be my eighth year starting my eighth or finishing my eighth year is it yeah, uh, in the end of October. So, um, you know, we're we're coming up on the, the ten year mark, not not too far off from that. So, uh, it's hard to imagine that, but I'm sure again you can relate. Just it feels like it hasn't been that long, but then when you kind of are like, no, yeah, it's been that long, and it feels good to kind of see that uh, momentum starting to build a little bit more naturally than having to really like scrape for it, you know. Well, and what a transition. I mean, PBM had to make from, you know, being supported by the Weyerhaeuser Corporation to being a self-sustaining entity. I mean, that's mm -hmm. really, that's a tough, the fact that it was a great, I think it was a great transition for you because of the freedom that comes with the curation and the history that David already established of art and bonsai intermixing. But what a big transition from the National Collection and what a massive transition for for P, for the you know Pacific Rim collection to become the Pacific Bonsai Museum because it's just like now all of a sudden it's like find your way you know it and it's like a museum and and public facility curation and management is essentially there it, it is a business of sorts right like mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a there's an operating budget there needs to be money coming in there's got to be an outcome for the effort and investment that's that's you know it not necessarily monetary monetary return but public support mm -hmm. that's and that's uh it's really incredible that you guys are starting to get there because certainly that's a that's the creation of a foundation that just like any other business or facility is is super gnarly so so you know hats off yeah yeah and of course you know uh kathy mccabe you know our original executive director you know gets a lot of that credit too because it's it's just like anything too right we we don't just do it by ourselves there's this cumulative investment by people oh yeah that are now they're longer the team there yeah scarlet work. and yeah, the team just, that's been there you know for sure i mean you guys yeah. are, you guys are crushing you have such a solid foundation and and like internal team that's making that whole thing go it's 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 really impressive yeah and then thanks Thanks. And, you know, we appreciated the support of Mirai as well and just the larger community. And as we kind of continue to grow the programs and, and do additional things that, uh, you know, people find value in. And that's ultimately, I think, where hopefully if there's that appreciation for what we do, then there's going to be the support for, for to continue doing it. Right. Because it's a pretty good bellwether to find out how people value what you do if they're financially supporting it, especially um you know as it seems uh you know things are getting more expensive just cost of operating gone up and you factor in all the other unknowns that you deal you know when you're taking care of a living collection of things um there's enough of the the randomness that you can't ever anticipate and uh uh it's nice to be able to have a little bit of um 
you know, knowing that other people care about that too and are gonna yeah. help help you. So, you know, we were able to raise uh just as a sidebar too, like speaking to that, we had to get a new, you know, piece of equipment, kind of like your dingo is we have our gator. Um, so these kind of animal mascot pieces of equipment um, that we use as kind of our workhorse, you know, almost takes the place of one or two other staff people. Um, and so it had been kind of, you know, it was a hand-me-down, 20 years of service, you know, it was, you know, you needed, needed to be put down, so to speak, but uh, we were able to raise, you know, uh, money to buy a new one. Um, so so stuff like that, that was kind of just on top of our, you know, general support, um, yeah. these kind of one-off projects, like, shade cloth that's realizing that's going to be a thing we're going to need probably more of yeah. uh you know it's like okay new shade cloth structures not too sexy but it's going to be uh, a real a real need for the trees to continue to to yeah. exist in the in the summers up here tell me about it. yeah no we, we we invested heavily in a new shade structure um, it's coming up hot too yeah yeah it should be should be going in here as we get things put away for the winter if if uh, okay, cool. if that ever happens but i it, it seemed like, you know, there's, it's sort of interesting to track the narrative arc of the Pacific Bonsai Museum because y you guys have been thrust into the spotlight, uh, you know, for, for just the sort of series of random things that had happened. I mean, the tree theft that occurred, um, and the the outcrying of the sort of commu you know the broader community like like mainstream media mm -hmm. for this story that had you know this historical connotation to the tree that had been taken mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know World War II and the internment camps and sort of this history that you know I think there's been a, a, a some reckonings and and dissection of history and and whatnot like that was that was really an unfortunate incident that raised so much more awareness about the museum and what it's doing yeah yeah i mean you know um you of all people right we know that these events in our <laughs> lives that happen that yeah. we wish didn't happen um they suck <laughs> but sure you know you thankfully can can see the note too that that it really was the uh without that though maybe uh some good good things came out of it you know and i don't know if that's just the human spirit of being able to reframe those things yeah. or if it's actually uh a tried and true you know um just cause and effect but yeah a lot of a lot of good came out of that a lot of uh, publicity a lot of eyes on the museum when the when the trees were stolen and you know, for me personally, the connection, getting connect, getting connected to the Furuzawa family, uh, you know, the descendants of the the individual, one of whom's trees was stolen, that had that really strong uh, story to the uh, incarceration and coming out of it with his bonsai and being, you know, in the Bay Area, a uh, really significant uh, teacher, um, and just connecting with them and having them, uh, you know, the their his son, the 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 sort of senior of the family. They just came back again this summer with friends from the Bay Area, uh, meeting friends in Seattle. So they're, you know, this is the second year in a row that they've come, you know, so uh, just shows, I think, too, again, the value of uh, the museum as being a repository for these kinds of uh, historically significant trees. Um, but, you know, not just individuals with direct connections, but larger, you know, communities to, to come out and connect with uh, the bonsai, you know, is just such a, a healing uh, cathartic kind of process. Uh, well, in the way, the way that you 
the way that you as as curator connected you know these trees to such a bigger story with the with the world war ii internment camp uh exhibition that you did i mean like i that was a really powerful and i have to believe that uh that that level you know you talk about leveling up as far as the Mm -hmm. exhibitions you've done some really cutting edge stuff there but that was on the historical component bonsai as a time capsule bonsai as a cultural um you know as a cultural embodiment uh of of time and experience was like it couldn't have been more well presented i think that was that those kinds of gestures are really starting to get gain traction and and notice and that's exciting yeah yeah thanks thanks for sharing that it's one of those things too where you talk about serendipity a lot in you know not just even in bonsai design right things happen that you wouldn't have planned for or anticipated and and it actually adds to the design of the tree or these kind of tragic events that spur you know new growth and change of direction that that lead to better things but you know with what's been fascinating is that exhibit two wasn't planned. I mean, we've, we've been planning that for, for a number of years, um, primarily around the anniversary of world war two, the 75th, you know, anniversary of the end of the war was, um, in, uh, 2020. And, um, but, you know, little did we know, you know, COVID and then kind of the, um, you know, uh, larger, uh, wrestling reckoning with racial injustices that we were experiencing as a culture, you know, uh, not just with African Americans, but then transitioning to um, Asian Americans um, during that time um, was not something we had planned. But I think what's really kind of feels good in terms of those when those things happen, it feels like you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. You know, when you kind of these things kind of happen that you didn't plan for the serendipity, um, it does feel like it was meant to be. Um, when you kind of have that, uh, you know, uh, kind of, I'm not taking credit by saying like we're ahead of our time but it feels timely because you're you kind of you're doing these things with some you know intent behind it but then it kind of comes together in a way that you wouldn't have planned for but it actually is much more impactful than you you know had originally thought it would be so yeah. the timing yeah, finger on finger really, on the pulse finger on the pulse yeah, for sure but for sure but i think it's also you know the stories that exist with each tree exists with that tree for forever it's just a matter of um i think the pacific bonsai museum has taken that next step in storytelling through the tree hmm. you know which is which allows people to connect to them so much so mm-hmm. you know and then and then the fact that the story had real relevance i mean i think it's Mm -hmm. i think it's even more admirable that it it wasn't in reaction to it was already something that you wanted to really bring attention to and dissect as a curator and then suddenly Mm -hmm. you know modern sort of the larger society was looking at similar things it was just like oh Mm -hmm. wow yeah no and that that synergy is is magic like when that happens it's what it's it's really what elevates an art form you know at different eras and periods in culture well, yeah, I think I think what you're it sounds it sounds like and what I can tell from, you know, we haven't chatted in, in a hot minute, but you know, from what it looks like too with, you know, Mariah in the Wild, it seems like you're also gravitating and have gravitated towards the storytelling side of, you know, bonsai and humans' relationship with trees. Mm-hmm. You know, those those feel more than anything like stories rather than like uh, you know, how obviously not teaching, but um, you know, presenting your experience uh, with with using bonsai as the kind of the theme, but really, you know, how how are you telling stories 
through those uh, through those works too. Um, seems like you know, yeah, that's that's been an interest of yours too. Yeah, as well. No, I think it's just become it's become my ultimate fascination, primarily because primarily because bonsai isn't bonsai isn't without the the human tree interaction you know it just it doesn't exist it's not a it's not a bonsai isn't a natural occurrence you know it, it's the product of that relationship and then you start to recognize that we are so much more tied into the influence and informing the native environment you know at this at this point in modern society i think bonsai has become a tremendous metaphor you know, to be able to di- dis- discuss and dissect a lot of different things, and I think that's where that's where the art form is. I mean, I think you you and mm. I agree that that bonsai is a subject of the art that PBM is is creating now. You know, mm. or or at least mm-hmm. in 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 the most recent World War II exhibition, and it seems like you're headed that way with the glass project. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. much about this. I've just seen what you've been kind of posting and engaging with. I don't know if you want to talk about it at all, but I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I mean to say, you know, so it, it with the art, like with the artisan's cup, it requires, um, I think something like that, an event to get me personally, uh, excited to go to, uh, to the next level of, of, display you know in terms of the bonsai world i'm even like when i'm starting to describe it internally or to other people who are maybe not familiar with bonsai i'm almost i just i'm describing it almost more as like an art installation like Mm -hmm. we're we're not trying to um even have it within the confines of like traditional display because it's it's not traditional per se um but it's almost kind of moving into that world of like installation art almost is hopefully where where i'm wanting to explore a little bit more um but with the the pacific bonsai expo you know that was just such a great opportunity and really it was the space it was that building and being able to put something in there that is so exciting mm-hmm. to get to do that and i think that's really the, the the biggest uh you know catalyst for for creativity is providing a new environment um for a for an exhibition to to exist in because i think just seeing trees in different places is so cool um so without that you know we wouldn't have really i wouldn't really felt the the urge to to attempt to do something at all um and so you know hats off to jonas and eric for 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 taking on that uh heavy lift you know as you know with 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 these shows and hearing them on on the podcast um so yeah so you know this is essentially trying to continue the lab project um you know, with one of the compositions, the limber pine, the, you know, the bronze kind of bronzed pot and Austin cement stand. And um, the reason that tree was chosen was it seemed to be the closest to being finished, like, you know, showable. It's really filled in in the last, uh, you know, three years that it's since it, since you styled it. Um, the other two, the, the dug fur is not quite show ready. It's, it's still developing. And then the, the, succulent is really just i didn't want to have to figure out how to um, transport that <laughs> um it, it seemed a little bit like i was biting more more than i could chew off although that tends to be the case because i originally was wanting to do like a three tree you know separate kind of standalone um uh, expo or uh, uh exhibition uh-huh. within the exhibit itself but uh we've whittled it down to one um for for a variety of reasons but so that tree you know and you can speak to this too since you (laughs) were so intimately involved with this creation but you know for me when we were there wrapping up the lab um you know uh, 
kind of seen everything together for the first time, that one tree, um, you know, embodied a lot of the traditional aspects of bonsai in terms of that was the one that we took the normal kind of control process of the tree leading the leading the dance, um, and sort of it went through its its sort of the, the standardized approach. Um, and because of that, the forms were really simple, you know, simplified forms. And I think that allowed the the materials that were used to really be the focus. Um, you know, with the the stand that Austin uh, made being cement, and that trying to replicate wood, right? So cement or concrete functioning as wood and then ron's you know ceramic pot representing metal you know and then the tree you know on top of all of that and you just really saw at least me the texture is a contrast of the rugged bark of the pine and the smoothness of the pot and the ruggedness of the of the stand itself you know it was just really striking and mm. so uh playing off on a theme of texture and materials was kind of one idea that i had been kicking around um, and then just continuing the architectural theme, which, you know, that was really what the core of the lab was also kind of using to um, drive a lot of the conversation and, and the, the thought behind it. Um, and uh, building materials, you know, as as a theme from, you know, wood, concrete, uh, you, know, um, I, you know, metal, which is kind of the pot representing that. And so glass was the one, was another component that I've been really interested in um, just exploring with uh, bonsai, not really knowing how. I don't, you know, uh, it's, it's a whole separate material that that hasn't really been much utilized in, in bonsai for, I think, a number of reasons. But being in Seattle, you know, where glass art is really kind of like it's the mecca outside of uh, Italy, um, you know, having access to kind of that as a local uh, art, uh, art and craft kind of community and having uh, Courtney Branham, who's one of our employees, who's actually a, a glass artist, in his, in his sort of day job, uh, you know, we've been talking for a number of years about just how do we, you know, what can we do in kicking around ideas. So the idea of continuing the lab project by bringing in other artists to add a component to the to the display, right? You kind of have those original three pieces: the tree pot and the stand. And then once you move it into the exhibition, you're adding, you know, traditionally a scroll and an accent and these other objects that inform the larger you know presentation of it and so why not then continue to bring artists you know and to add in that sort of same vein but not in the traditional sense uh with bonsai and so the idea was to um take uh the the negative space around underneath the stand right this so when you look at the tree it's this really it's it's got a lot of mass and like visual weight i mean it's the, the the concrete base the 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 pot and the tree I mean they just have such a heaviness to them um, but the negative space under that cement stand I thought would be really interesting if we could blow a glass bubble underneath that stand as if it's being compressed you know by the weight of the of everything kind of on top of it to create that you know sense of tension and fragility of like you know, oh, is this is this going to break? Like, you know, it kind of bulging out from from that weight um, in a way to kind of further, uh, you know, increase the the tension of that design. I mean, it's a very asymmetrical design. There's a lot of kind of tension already and in existing into that. And so, you know, we we had kicked around a lot of ideas, but just for at least this point, you know, having kind of a a, a large kind of glass orb underneath it, and not having worked with glass myself, I I was really um, naive to the process of it and kind of how 
physical it is and demanding in terms of the the working conditions and the size like kind of like with bonsai there's kind of a a threshold where you kind of hit from a physical standpoint of being able to even just work with uh large pieces and this was going to be blown glass so you know they they put the the glass on the right. pipe and then they blow the bubble into this into this thing so courtney had made a a, a mold of based off of the stand and we had gone down to the museum of glass um who we've had some connections with, and then Courtney, just with his glass uh, background, uh, was able to set us up with a day in their hot shop using their 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 furnaces, which you know they have like some of the biggest glass kilns on the West Coast, and their team of professionals is you know the hot some of the best there is, and so like if they couldn't do this, no like, no one could, right? So mm -hmm. we kind of had the best equipment, the best. Um, artisans kind of doing this and, and Courtney kind of leading the leading the charge here. So um, that's kind of what led to that. And so we've got the, we made it, they made a, they were able to get two of the four attempts made because they have to like build this thing up and blow it. And it's all experimental too. Like they have never done this before and can you do it? We don't know. So it really was just kind of a test case. Um, and they did get a couple large bubbles. One was one was cut and sort of worked down to actually fit within the, the space. Um, and so now, you know, we have this thing and Courtney and I are going to have to figure out like, uh, which we thought about, but you know, how do you then lower this heavy concrete <laughs> stand over the top of this bubble, this glass bubble without chipping it, breaking it, you know? Uh, so even just in the setting it, of it up, there is this going to be this heightened tension because just seeing this gigantic glass orb, like, you know, I just have this kind of innate sense of it's going to break. It's going to break. Just, just seeing it, just like walking past it, you're like, is that going to break? Like, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see <laughs> what the what the visual Wait, is. Are we driving that? Is are we, are we supposed to that drive down? that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Josh, Josh, Josh didn't tell you that. <laughs> JP, I guess JP, I didn't understand what we were doing. It's like I knew you were also, working with glass. So we're gonna be we're gonna be it's packing. It, you know, obviously Courtney Courtney does this professionally and knows how to pack uh, glass art. So we will be packing it well um to withstand uh, just gave me so much it. anxiety no you you got this, you, got this. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's nothing more than like a, a, a antique chinese pot you know come on you you, you got that down so. i would say it sounds significantly less durable but okay i mean like yeah sounds good <laughs> yeah, it would be we'll, so we'll devastating it. to get there and open well, it up and it's be, just like <laughs> well no what would be more devastating is to have it get there we're putting the we're putting the stand on and we break it somehow and the actual installation of it. That would be yeah, let's really dive into all the devastating things that could happen. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a this great is, subject. You know what, though? <laughs> this conversation is why glass is not a part of bonsai. This is, <laughs> that's exactly it right there. I think the extent typically would be the... I'm sorry, the little the beads or the little stones that you see on the on the guy on the side of the road selling them. Like, that's about the extent that the, yeah. the rocks or yeah, the little glass yeah. pieces. Yeah. yeah. Phony I thought I thought the Jonathan Hogan slab that you planted the Western on, like yeah. that, that I thought was so moving. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I see Jonathan's work being the more, the most closely tied and applicable to bonsai for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we've kind of, you know, uh, there's a whole range of, right, how you can incorporate glass that I think is yet to be explored from it as a um, accent piece or a component to an actual display. Um, to a vessel itself, to a stand, to um, incorporating it into the tree somehow, you know, actually physically in contact with it. Um, I don't know, there's a lot, you know, that's exciting to kind of like think about of, of how to use it because it's such a cool material in that it's it, it, it's interaction with light. 
um, is really something that I think could create some interesting, um, you know, compositions as well as just like it representing it being able to represent water. That's a that's a kind of a common, or I say a more frequently used way that glass glass is used at least from what I've seen is to like represent water. Yeah. Um. You know, in a in a way that's that's dramatic. That's pretty dramatic. So you know, who knows? It's just again, it's kind of like what the lab was designed to do was just experiment and see what happens and you know maybe it'll work maybe it won't maybe it'll break maybe it won't uh, you know i think that's kind of what we've always tried to approach that from is this idea of let's try this out and, and see so so that's that's the goal um is to have that so if you know hopefully everyone who's going to be at the the expo will get a chance to see it and do you know um, what uh do you know what spot it's going to be in? Like the layout of that when we talked with those guys, there's like yeah. uh, different lighting areas within that space. Yeah. So I know they're still planning the final layout of things. The the thought though, regardless of where specifically, it will be its own separate kind of not it won't be within the the rows of trees because it's it's not going to be for our judging. Um, it's just going to be a kind of a like I said, an installation that's going to be there. So it's going to be though, at least the last time we chatted, it will be more towards the front entrance of the show. So hopefully it'll be one of the first things people maybe see and kind of get um, you know excited or intrigued by before they they head into the main show. But yeah, I think towards the front, there's a slight sort of sloping ramp that kind of um, comes down from the entrance down into the main kind of flattened floor area. So the last I chat with Eric. Um, it's going to be somewhere in the, in that sort of open entry, entry space of the show. Cool. Um, wow. And then, and then to just another piece that we haven't talked about is um, there's another artist in the Bay area that I'm working with. His name's Tahiti Pearson and he does paper sculpture. Um, it's this uh, he, he's really into installation work and I was connected, connected to him through, through another artist in that area. And um Basically, he's making these like 15 foot long, 15 foot tall by six foot wide uh, panels of hand cut geometric kind of paper uh, panels that are going to be hanging, um, kind of framing the the space that this tree, you know, everything's going to sort of exist in. Um, uh, and hopefully with the light kind of coming through, you know, it'll kind of be creating these kind of um, you know, the lighting on the tree will really be interesting. If nothing else to though, define the space for this to exist in, um, because it's such a voluminous warehouse facility um, to just kind of put that, uh, the tree and kind of that kind of by itself kind of off to the side, uh, it might it might kind of be lost a little bit, I think in the volume. So the idea of having something that kind of defines that area um, and then also paper uh, kind of again, going as a material, um, was was kind of contrasting like the 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 ruggedness of the tree, right? Um, the, the idea of fragility, right? Glass, paper, these kind of more fragile, lighter materials. Again, contrasting the heavier, um, rougher tree and stand and pot, um, but also like a, a subtle nod to the to the shoji screens, you know, in traditional Japanese houses, right? Those paper sliding doors mm. that that are are pretty pretty, you know, a, a common architectural component like the tokonoma with this tree representing you know the the a, a nod to the traditional aspect of the tree pot stand you know workflow um and even the forms and shapes it's not this radical succulent or you know kind of the more uh, organic you know modern bonsai that the doug fur was this this kind of has that nod to the to the tradition in a way the tokonoma space um but but 
integrating um, those materials in a way that's a little bit more contemporary. So, um, so yeah, it's going to hopefully all just turn out amazing and uh, really excited to, to have people see it. Yeah. Holy that's fascinating. cow. Wow. I wasn't prepared for that. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, we've been, we've been playing with glass a little bit. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was pretty on board with the first part and then adding the kind of the paper space defining room concept. That's another just whole layer of mm -hmm. yeah, that's texture, pretty. light material. That's fascinating. Well, and the idea was to like an installation, right? Not just having the tree be presented from the front, right? And you kind of get the the one eighty view or whatever. You know, ideally, people are going to get to walk around the whole the whole piece, right? And even be able to look through the little the the the, the holes that are cut. You know, the, the the geometric patterns that have been cut in the in the panels itself just will create hopefully a different oh perspective you know as you're looking through the paper if you were able to walk around all of it you could see the whole composition in 360 but you're getting different vantage points kind of as you're you're walking it around so again just the idea of you know it being more of a, of a standalone installation than kind of the you know traditional table on a table uh display yeah yeah wow yeah wow and, and eric and eric and jonas were like yeah sounds good <laughs> yeah, like, how yeah, are you gonna are you gonna hang these things are you gonna hang these yeah, yeah so they're gonna be hung from the ceiling jeez god they're gonna be hung yeah i'm excited those guys are Let's those go. guys those guys you know what i bet they're i bet they're experienced right now uh oh he froze um i bet eric and jonas's experience right now trying to put together the pacific Bones. Uh, oh, yeah, you're, yeah right. you're right there. I okay. bet All i right. bet eric and jonas's experience trying to put together the pacific bonsai expo i i can I can assume, I can't tell you for sure, but I can assume because I've been here. They're probably like, I'm so sad that we did this. Oh no. <laughs> I'm so sad that we have to go through all I, of this. I not 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 for not for the simple fact of like hanging sure. this or dealing with this. Just the amount of logistics that you've got to, and I I, I have to believe the budget is skyrocketing right now. Uh-huh. The that Whatever the, that the cost is has shot well past what was estimated. And you know you get in so deep, and all of a sudden you're like, "Well, guess we got to keep I guess going." We can't stop you know, now. Turns out there's a lot of tickets. I mean, sold. like, yeah, exactly. Like now we're in. People have flights, hotels, yep. tickets. Like we've told them this is happening. That that's what happened with the Artisans Cup. I mean, by the end of Run it, it was train. just like, "Oh my gosh!" And it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't so bad that it was like that. It spoiled the event or anything, but it was bad enough that afterwards it was like, "Wow, I don't." I don't know when I'll be doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like you went out and then all of a sudden, you know, you felt motivated and you're like, Oh, drinks on me or, you know, I'll pick up the dinner tab. <laughs> yeah. And the next morning you're like, wait, did I, did I just do that? It's like, a perfect, you know, that's a perfect. Your, yeah. <laughs> that credit card statement. statement. You're like, Oh Ooh. man, that felt great in the moment. It was, it was fun being uh, that yeah. generous. But, uh, yeah, kudos yeah, to Eric um, and Jonas, though. Yeah, I, it's well, I really you, the enthusiasm behind it. The yeah, I, I know we're putting in, we're putting in, we're putting in more effort for sure in the pieces yeah. that we're presenting, and I think that venue and context matter greatly for that. Right, sure. like you have to justify that effort aesthetically, putting it in a space that can hold that kind of effort. And the collaboration of the effort plus the space creates something contextually greater. Like it really does motivate people. It opens the door for beautiful things to happen. And they and they've they've done that with that space. I'm so interested to see 
what the what the 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 presentation methodology is inside of that space because mm-hmm. um, I think they are keeping it fairly um, sort of tra- traditional or um, you know as as seen in exhibition styles to date but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there are going to be these other aesthetic contrast to that methodology that can make a very rich dialogue inside of the totality of the exhibition. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, they've been nothing but supportive and, and, and excited about it. Cause you know, I think that's really, at least from what they've expressed, their long-term goal is for more of these types of non-traditional yeah. displays or installations to exist than fewer. And so it's just kind of, you've got to start, you know, you've got to start with the expected uh, way of doing things and then slowly, you know, uh, one, hopefully inspire people to, to explore more. And not to say that, like, other people that aren't doing this, but it's just, um, it's exciting to, to see people who are just as excited to, like, want to see more things, like, that are not what you're expecting to see. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. I totally agree. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be such a good time. Yeah, and hopefully, yeah, for sure. Very excited, very looking forward to to all of it. And uh, we couldn't also do it without, you know, Mirai, uh, the covered wagon. So just, you know, that that service to transport trees, I think. <laughs> and fragile uh, glass objects. And fragile glass well, objects. Yeah, well, again, just speaking to it, you know, like halfway through Wichita, you're like, oh, man, you know, like it's it's nice now, but it's, you know, doing the covered wagon is is a big investment. And it's one of those things where, you know, uh, halfway through it, you're like, why am I doing this again? And yeah. is there another way of doing it? But, yeah. um, the ability for those, uh, you know, to have a, a white glove type service that can take a bone size safely to a destination. Uh, you know, I couldn't justify doing that, uh, with myself. Yeah. But again, that's even, that's another hindrance for myself is, is to, is to do it. So yeah. then that, that makes yeah. it even another barrier to have to overcome. So all I have to say is like, it's again, it's community effort. Like the only reason this is happening is because they chose to do it. You're taking the trees there, you know, like yeah. we've invested the money and the t- effort to come up with this and execute it. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, good. It's, it's good vibes. It's really good vibes. So. I appreciate that. I'm getting excited Pre- for this I, show. I, I appreciate, yeah. appreciate you good. recognizing the covered wagon. <laughs> Because, you know, I think I I, I think sometimes people think it's like, oh, yeah, what's the big deal? You're just going to drive trees. It's like, no, 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 no. It was only that easy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, There's a reason nobody else is doing this. Right. There's a big reason. No one else wants to do it. Yeah. Not wants to do it. it, And honestly, it's just such a, you know, working working with Mr. Kimura and packing the Kokufu every year to the degree that we did just created an experience and awareness and a skill set uh that is it's tough to duplicate the covered wagon is is a is a logistical nightmare it's a it's a it's a bonsai nightmare it's a bonsai person's nightmare and to make it even like financially make sense for anybody it's like yeah it's very complicated to try to get that many trees in that amount of space and yeah. still be yeah, yeah. still be and very have them all be incredibly safe yeah arrive in one piece you know in as good a condition as they were loaded in it's yeah it's a big it's a big deal and there's but, no pressure either yeah oh. <laughs> well california is always interesting california is always interesting because you really do have to go through the significant uh hoops jump through the significant hoops of of ag inspection mm-hmm. and a really strict yeah. a, strict ag system which you know that's these are the logistics of the covered wagon that people don't think about either because it's different when you have your car and 
you're transporting a bone they wave you by they look in the back and they go yeah you go versus when you roll up with a truck with 60 trees in it and you're like like what are you doing these are all okay trust me and they're like right yeah yeah can't so so we've got our we've got our fido scheduled for uh next week so yeah yeah we're doing that it's a big what's that so we're doing that too yeah yeah, we're going to have to do it. I mean, everybody that's got a tree on the wagon is going to have to bring that information. It's tough. Yeah, because I was like, man, the the one thing you don't want to be is like, you've got the one, and they're like, that one doesn't have a certificate. And it's like, exactly. well, I guess we're leave it on the side of the road or something. You know, yeah, like, you, what, do you even do? what do you even <laughs> do? What do you even do? It's a total yeah. nightmare. Yeah, it's a total nightmare. But Well, um, just going back to the expo real quick and installations, you know, there was, I guess, uh, talk about you doing something too that with Ofer and that didn't quite pan out. I mean, is there yeah, I wasn't, anything about that or? I, I, all I was going to do was supply Ofer with a, a bed and a shelter and a space to be creative. Gotcha. And he, he gotcha. had, I think he was working with Eric and he had some installation gotcha. ideas. <clears throat> so unfortunately, you know, Things. You were going to supply a tree. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, oh, I guess I was, huh? Yeah. I was going to supply a tree. To be, to and be a lot, determined and a whole, based and on the conversation. Wire. And a whole lot of copper wire. Yeah. And if we say more than that, we can't do it next time. Well, I don't know any more than that, so it makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. There's really no yeah, secret. There's really no secret to divulge here. There was a sketch yeah, somewhere think, out in the universe. I think some I think some personal things came up for Ofer that were yeah. far more important. I was just curious. So, yeah. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Well, I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping to uh, meet him and... Uh, see what he came up with but yeah it's exciting to just uh hopefully next time um but yeah i was just curious about that i think a lot of people would be interested to meet Ofer, and i think uh you know like when we did the panel discussions at the artisans cup it was for the purpose of advancing the the dialogue um and i think like in the future if they do the expo more like they should strongly consider that because more and more people are going to be there that can speak to these different you know aspects of of bonsai and presentation and all of the all of the interesting little tentacles you know mm-hmm. of, of exploring it as an art yeah i mean i'd love to you know even during the expo itself like find a time to do some sort of informal group discussion just you know if if all goes to plan you know just kind of gather around uh that uh the, the various pieces and just kind of talk about them you know um have have more of a kind of a, a group discussion oh, you about know, it. Kind of what we did with the lab. You know, that, I was thinking that was that's already, a really interesting yeah. podcast idea with the shotgun mic, just to like yeah, just have a community kind of like we did like with the lab three where we had all those different people just kind of yeah. chatting and providing a critique, almost almost like a public critique. What are we gonna? Um, are we ever gonna see the lab project? I mean, each one oh, of those man. was filmed. Like I I understand what goes yeah. into uh, that, but like what's yeah, the uh, I would, I mean, I'd love to, I think, I think it's going to require us to, um, it hasn't gone away. And that's where I think like, I still am trying to keep it alive in this, in this kind of way of using the works that came out of that and adding to them and kind of like not letting that go away. The, the documentary though, you know, yeah, it's like, it's always on my, the back of my mind. I think we as an organization would need to specifically target that as a priority for fund development and, you know, raising money to produce that, you know, as you know, you know, those things cost a lot of money. Most film, of the time is in film edit, is editing. Gnarly. Film is yeah. so gnarly. And so it's, it's all of the, all of it's been shot. It's just a matter of, you know, what's the most critical, uh, 
thing to put out. We need, you know, we need a new gator or we need to create a documentary. It's like, you know, so and what do you do? Here's the thing. What do you do with it? You know, that's the right. other thing that people don't. I mean, like when, when, when major, I mean, this is the thing with Mariah in the wild. It's like, you know, we're making these things and we're sort of exercising that muscle, figuring out what we're trying to say, exploring the, the, the boundaries of the project and the context and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. but film distribution, putting it in 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 a place where it has you know meaning and stuff like that, is also a, it's like a huge challenge. So like, right. as you guys were making as as the lab project was uh, you know evolving, and then as it was being filmed, it's like, yeah, but what could this be? And that's that's a that's always going to be a big question anytime you film something for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it could be a it could be a, a Mariah production one day. Who knows? For sure, <laughs> Mariah, Mariah produced the lab, but um, you know, we've always got the film. Like that's the one thing we did. I'm glad we did invest the the expense of recording it and documenting it. So like, it is there, and you know, I do have hopes that it will be edited and and presented one day. But you know, it's just like that. Uh, it's just like that piece of material that's just in the field, and it's just you know, growing and getting bigger and maturing and marinating and, you know, yeah. it'll, it'll get its opportunity one day, but you just also can't, I guess, um, sit there just staring at it day in and day out. You kind of just have to check in on it. Remember <laughs> it's there going, and, yeah. you know, yeah, it'll, it'll, it, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to it, but, but yeah, no, I, I would love to, but, um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's a regular, <laughs> it's a regular thing on my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, what I saw the one thing too, just switching gears a little bit to the kind of more of the avant-garde display and you know realm of of bonsai design, and you know I saw the stream where you reworked the pondo and the uh, container, the the metal the metal uh, light fixture, which looks amazing. So I mean, what yeah, that's a pretty significant piece and one of the earliest that I can remember you really kind of doing something out of the you know box so to speak mm -hmm. um but has there been anything else that you would kind of uh, like uh put in that same camp that you have now or have been working on or yeah i think I the, the the colorado spruce on the corten structure yeah uh -huh. you know it's yeah. mounted it's mounted in the granite and uh i'm trying to figure out what the the planting at the base of that to merge the metal and the granite is going to be and that's mm -hmm. that that's sort of you know, connecting the redwood forest, uh, the trees in the redwood forest is still a project that sits out there because that's, you know, it's several days, that several days might even turn into several weeks, depending on what we decide to do with it. Um, but the Corten spruce, I think, is really radical. Uh, the hanging, the hanging spruce forest on the limber pine is something that when we put the shade structure in, uh, will finally be suspended. So that's going to be really exciting. What, what is that one hanging? hanging yeah, it's the massive, on? it's the massive burnt out limber pine. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Trunk that's got all the, uh -huh. it, all the yeah. upright Colorado spruce on it. We're going to suspend that from the, the new shade structure so that it'll, oh, wow. ha it'll have a permanent installation place at Mariah. Oh, I'm pretty, cool. I'm pretty excited about that. And, um, and then I think the spruce from Mount Hood on Deadwood that was at the end of the Artisans Cup, we we mm -hmm. really evolved the design of that recently as far as reduction and aging the tree and stuff. So that continues to be a really a really cool experiment. That's looking really nice that, right now. That one that that one particularly because mm -hmm. it's been in a state of radical 
sort of uh, context for quite some time. Now the tree mm-hmm. adapting to the, the tree further to that was a really nice was a really nice project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking about too, just for next year, um, from a museum standpoint, and turning a little bit more to like business. You know, we had the Degroot retrospective um, this year, and so we're going to continue doing the Gallery of Trees exhibit, which is our main, you know, the main kind of the display we're we're doing this year, but doing another special exhibit. That's more on the avant-garde, um, avant-garde bonsai. So, like with our la- this lab tree with the glass, you know, fingers crossed that would be there. But I was trying to think of other pieces that might be interesting to display for a short-term special exhibit. And so, yeah, the the pondo in that uh, metal light fixture was really striking. So, yeah, think about it if you would be interested in uh, putting that in uh, this special exhibit next year. I've mm-hmm. got a couple other works that I'm. Uh, that are kind of also in in play that uh, would be kind of cool to do just kind of a you know non-traditional show kind of the avant avant-garde uh, yeah. of bonsai or something like that yeah cool no i mean yeah. i'm in, i'm into it it's uh it's an experiment much like a lot of the a lot of the you know innovative or avant-garde experiments it's an experiment that ends in failure you know i mean that that container is is deteriorating around that tree rapidly, which I really it's I becoming find, a part of the story. It looks I, cooler I find every that day. to be yeah, yeah, I find that to be really interesting. Seeing the, the light, the edges yeah, and the light comes through falling the apart. And... So I mean, well, it's, it's still very much structurally held together, but it's not going to be there forever. Well, yeah, I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to talk about further, and the idea of of containers or aspects of a tree that are not intended to be permanent. You know, working with a uh, ceramic high fired, you know, vessel, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking a lot more of containers and how, what trees exist in and on, you know, from like glass and, and other materials. So it's just, you know, how do you see like a uh, room for bonsai to evolve where you're intentionally incorporating that sort of like, um, expiration date on, a on its, a container or it's you know like i guess when i think of a bonsai pot i think of it being this very permanent fixed thing you don't change like once you kind of get within that wheelhouse of the size you know you kind of look for the pot and you commission it and like it's that relationship almost like a marriage right it's like they're together forever you know like that's this pot yeah but then on the flip side of it you know treating containers um on the flip side of it being more of a of a temporary and temporary could be, you know, years, decades, or even, you know, uh, shorter than that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of possibility for design for where you actually have the, the pot changing, but then you run into this, the challenge of how do you achieve that with the requirements of either repotting it or not, you know, devising some sort of system. So yeah, anyway, just, just thinking through the, the, the thinking of pots differently is something that that's been on my mind. I'm just curious to know your thoughts on that. I, I think it's front and center for me because I, I, I see the, I see the, the convention that makes it bonsai uh, as the tray, you know, and more mm-hmm. importantly, the formal, the formal iteration of the tray, which, which really th- that concept evolved once we talked with Tor whole villa uh, at the trophy and he had spent time in Tokoname working on the traditional, you know, ceramic making 
process of the tokenami potters and and he hit that podcast where he really broke it down changed everything for me because it was like oh these are are people who are not they did not get into bonsai ceramics to make bonsai ceramics they had to transition out of making you know toiletries and and more functional stuff and they they took this model from china and and sort of started executing it but that that has created this entire construct is just this circumstance it wasn't even intention necessarily and it wasn't like the 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 vessel was thought out necessarily but it just became so ingrained in the practice that 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 if you're gonna explore outside of the boundaries of you know the aesthetic created by culture in the tree you deviate from the fun the the fundamental shape size proportion materiality at times but not necessarily um, you know, Jonathan Cross's work is the same materiality and it's a completely different context. I, I just, I felt like that was the big move away from the Japanese identity of, 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 of the Japanese definition of what is bonsai and to say, I'm going to recreate nature in miniature representation of this larger macro and miniature, um, you know, and give it a different context in that traditional container. So like, you know, with the light box and with any tree, with the John Naka tree going into the Jonathan Cross ceramic and stuff, it's like these are temporary. These are temporary pieces. And I am witnessing now 12 years in with some of the compositions at Mirai, not even innovative compositions, but just standard tree container relationships that, that the trees do do increase in size, not even from a foyer perspective, but just from a scale of vascular productivity perspective that demands a container shift almost on a functional level, you know, and it's like, mm. you think about the Shoheen model cannot stay Shoheen for forever. It's not a possibility in bonsai, which is why the Kokfu standards of Shoheen sizing have sort of slowly and discreetly increased, you know, because you can't mm -hmm. keep a tree that small. Well, you can't keep a tree in the same pot for forever. So if you can't, man, that is so liberating to experiment and explore uh, because you can take a tree out of a pot and you can put it on a piece of metal and you can take a tree out of metal and you can put it on a piece of glass and you can take a tree mm -hmm. out of a piece of glass and put it on a piece of deadwood. And like each one of those is a different discussion for that tree. It's a completely different dialogue because co contextually the fundamental foundation of the aesthetic and the consideration is different. So like one tree ha can have so many more lives than I think we've witnessed in traditional bonsai to date. And yeah, so I think do you think then the material of the pot, right? The the high fired ceramic, right? We've talked about like it becomes, you know, part of the archaeological record because it's gonna be around forever. Mm -hmm. Like the permanency of that as a material speaks to the to that mindset of like um not more rapid iteration of design or presentation, right? Because you you could hypothetically have that pot forever and the tree could you know in extreme cases especially more with finished trees maybe exist in that for for long periods of time right. within your within your lifetime yeah. let's just say that sure um but whereas the light box being metal and it's deteriorating that is forcing it's going to force you at some point to respond to that where it's deteriorated to a point where it's no longer serving its purpose yeah. you know so like i'm not quite saying disposable pots but at the same time like how much does material, uh, you know, limit kind of the thinking of, around of design or aesthetics because you kind of are like, 
I don't have to worry about it now because I've got this ceramic. It's just going to age. It's, we value that age, right, in a ceramic. You actually want it to be get to that old pot, whereas you're going to hold on to it, keep it, kind of develop patina, um, rather than maybe having it go the other way to where the deteriorated to the point where it's no longer, mm-hmm. you know, useful. Um, well, I'll challenge you. I'll challenge you even further. I'll I'll, I'll see your raise and I'll, I'll call and raise. <laughs> if 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 you're willing to sacrifice the permanence or the fossil record of the materiality of the container, are you willing to sacrifice uh, the the most prized iteration of the tree? You know, because yeah. with with the decay of the container, are you willing to let the tree follow the loss of its foundation and become aesthetically something that, although may not equal the same ideal in the construct of bonsai, but is actually more organic and authentic to the story and tale of a tree if we're representing nature in miniature. You know, an upright tree is held upright by the foundation of the container. Rock shifts, ground shifts, dirt slides, right? Floods happen, Mm -hmm. lightning, fire, everything, you know, can alter contextually, but also like the, the, the random circumstance of nature is unpredictable and it's completely objective it's going to take out whatever is in its path and that's where the random form that we prize in bonsai of the ancient tree comes from yet we try to control that so much once we put it into a containerized environment so if the container becomes uh a little bit more uh you know transient then do we let go and relinquish subconsciously the form of the tree a little bit more and i can honestly tell you that i do that that has that has and this is why context is so important to explore because you could not answer that question without experiencing that and experiencing the change and the loss of that structure you know and i think the ponderosa forest planted on the big leaf maple slab was a perfect example i know the big leaf maple slab when i put that forest on it was going to deteriorate it fell apart and completely changed the entire you know composition structure of the composition etc you know and my response and reaction to that was not what i anticipated it would be it just wasn't i learned something about myself i learned something about that uh that lack of future in that materiality changing my response to the tree and that that's really powerful stuff right there you know mm-hmm. Because now, yeah. now you're being guided by something that's not in your control, and bonsai can potentially be seen as something that is all about control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I I would agree with you at that totally. Um, then thinking about that, the idea of then, I guess, sacrificing the trees, uh, you know, what you're talking about, sacrificing the intended design as it it's as ideal, it or it's ideal, right? Or, you know, the ideal. Well, and what, who's ideal, or what, where is that ideal exactly. coming from? Exactly, is, totally. is the other question. But um, how much though do you think that? So personally, when I think about that, right, I come up, I have this ingrained like preference for preservation and um, like care and stewardship and you know, you were talking about going to, um, you know, Yosemite and the, 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 the Ansel Adams, you know, pine, you know, it was like, it's no longer there because everyone wanted to go see it and, you know, uh, take pieces from it or, they loved or whatever, it right? They loved it to death. Right. Loving it to death. And I think like, so with bonsai, you have that sense of love, right? That actual, there's an emotion attached to it to where I, I, 
like, where's that line between preservation and like um, protection, right? Are, 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 are like protecting the natural resource, like these ancient trees that like, you know, like Hyperion now, like you can't go to the Redwoods, like, and you'll get fined because people want to go see them. Um, but also then like valuing that to where you want to go see them, right? Because the more you value it, the more now you put that at risk. And it's this really, you know, interesting uh, question of where does that boundary exist? And for bonsai, it's like, do you have such a, a less of an emotional attachment or to the tree that you're going to allow it to quote, like not be in good health or, you know, not, um, you know, be well cared for by whatever kind of metric you use in for the sake of that aesthetic um, exploration of the aesthetic, right, um, of the container, maybe putting it in a material that's toxic to the plant, but it's going to create some interesting commentary or you're using the tree as almost uh, knowing it's going to die as a result of that. Is that like the morality of that is something I'm question I'm, I'm just interested in, in talking to you about is like where does the responsibility i know for you you always emphasize the health of the plant but at what point does the exploration of an art move towards almost like you know the sacrificial to where the first you know astronaut in space or whatever like hope they were coming back but for, for you know the first person to mars like maybe well, they come back maybe they don't it's like yeah, well, I think that's, but this is, you know, in, in modern society, everybody has the ability to make their own decision about that. There's not a group, you know, a group consensus. I know you're asking me about it, but you're also tapping into the challenging thing, which is what is the, what is the, the judgment, the value judgment, the morality, you know, I think that's subjective now because, you know, Dan Robinson leaves a lot to the environment to determine with his trees. Um, you know, there. Who was the gentleman that shot the bonsai up into space in the cube yeah, on the? Uh, you know, yeah. and and mm -hmm. and he is. He kill every tree that he works with. He kills uh, mm -hmm. to to be using those in display. And and you know, I don't find that that doesn't work for me. But I can't, I can't say that he's wrong. I disagree with mm -hmm. it. You know, and I don't I don't like mm -hmm. that contextual. But I've also thought about exploring that. Um, I think the the fundamental act of bonsai is is poisoning a, a right. tree to a degree. So let's, right. you know, so then it's like, what is the purpose of this whole thing? Uh, for me, it it always comes back to uh, creating context and dialogue that connects people to their relationship with the with the natural world, you know, and more mm. importantly, creating an understandable and digestible relationship that allows them to see their their place in the greater ecosystem, you know. So. I and I, and I think that literalness of that is what's created clarity for me with the Mariah in the Wild project. But certainly, the Mariah in the Wild project has made me, um, in one sense, even less necessitating of defining these things and more intuitive uh, about just exploring them when the concept arises and creates a curiosity. But the Mariah in the Wild project has also created a tremendous value of my sense of space and context at Mirai as an incubator to think through these ideas because in the wild is a momentary experience and you come back with that and think about it. But the reality is people are not living in those extreme environments to experience that context much. So so much of our relationship with the natural world is an abstraction that's filtered through our mind and we engage with every day to varying degrees that help us understand like how we contribute 
or, or or whether we choose to not think about contributing or whether we choose to increase our carbon footprint for, you know, concepts beyond sort of sustainability and more self-interest or whether we reduce our carbon footprint because we care and we see that relationship and want to like uh, engage with it on a more sustainable and responsible level. The, mm-hmm. that that for me is so the container you know at that point the container just becomes another mechanism to explore all of those trickle down abstractions uh that i'm th- that i'm experiencing from changing the context of actual space in which i practice the art form you know mm-hmm. and 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 so it's natural but it's not a focus it's just part of the greater dialogue that's come with that project for me you know, and that's what I think is interesting about bonsai, and you, you're a, a, a perfect, I think, uh, collaborator to discuss it with, is that, you know, when when you change the context of bonsai, it's capable of being a portal, a doorway, a window, uh, uh, you know, a peephole into every single relationship that we have with art, design, culture, language, Everything it it is a it is the ultimate connector, and that's where I see the tree as, as the the greatest communicator on earth. You know, mm-hmm. it just embodies so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Have you seen though? Going back to your Mariah in the Wild, and have you noticed a that trickle down from there? Has it influenced your choice of containers? Or oh, for sure. I know obviously the design, but like, can you for speak sure. to that a little bit? Yeah, for how sure. That, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the more the more that I'm intimately digesting the landscape, being in it, pursuing creative productivity. You know, like going and hiking and walking and and photographing and looking is great, but it's like the doing of engaging with the aesthetic, the elements that are acting as the work is taking place. You know, there is like a literal translation of experience. Mm-hmm. being in that right. moment with a tree in that space you know what i'm saying right. so it's really hard to come out of that kind of uh sensory saturation um it's hard to come out of that sensory saturation and that and that drama and then try to domesticate those pieces but i think the contrast of that wild experience and the drama of what comes from that contrasted next to a more domesticated aesthetic from a built environment in a much, would you say, safer or potentially much more serene sensory experience is a valuable context to create for how dramatic those those intense landscapes that give rise to this fantastical tree form are. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's when you go back to Penjing and the and the connection of a spirituality to that mm-hmm. as the primary backbone of that representation i get it i get it because how else do you explain it how mm-hmm. how, how else do you put words to that experience to try and hold on to that when you come back to a context that takes you so far away from it it's just like r- religion or some sort of you know spiritual god higher being relationship is really the only way to describe nature in a in a in a societal construct you know well yeah i mean that's interesting because you know as far as i know right that was a large a large component of bonsai and pinjing yep. was largely tied to uh you know religion philosophy buddhism you know like so 
you have people that are already actively practicing spirituality in connection with this discipline, like that almost served as the, you know, like that was what it was, right? It was, that was almost the, yeah, maybe. maybe the original, the original context for it, but, but what it was if definitely the a major. What if the bonsai create? What if the bonsai created the religious context? You know, like right, that. Right. That that's where I actually, I'm at. That's what I'm trying to say is like we assume because they were Buddhist, they were taking bonsai out or trying to create this thing because of their Buddhism. But what if because they were doing this thing that, mm, you know, it's mm -hmm. like why do human beings want to climb a cliff? It's like why do human beings want to touch a tree? There's something that's very deeply engineered in our DNA as a value system and survival mechanism, you know, that common society, I think, is is overriding our care for and awareness of. Because you can conveniently look the other way with trees any anytime you want, you know, to cut one down, sure. to burn it, to, to use it as a resource. Sure. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not putting a value on that. I'm just saying, like, there is something ingrained in our DNA to value that. What if trying to explain that relationship, you know, gave rise to a spirituality? And, and I mm -hmm. almost wonder, in my experiences with Mariah in the Wild, I could very easily see where I have no way to express that experience mm -hmm. and sensation and relationship uh, of pursuing creation in the native environment like that. Then I have no other way to explain it other than spirituality. Mm -hmm. And that's been really interesting to think about Penjing being born, and we think that the religion came first. Maybe Penjing gave, gave rise to the people practicing it in that way, gave rise to that spirituality, not of Buddhism, mm -hmm. but of that individual's spirituality. Right, yeah. I mean, there was some awareness that there was a spiritual component to that practice associated with the, also the spiritual practice of just going into the mountains and, you know, as, a, as just a spiritual uh you know, work in and of itself, right? Yeah. Devoid yeah. of any intent for creativity or... And what is that spirituality? Purpose. You know, what is that spirituality? Right. Is that Shinto right. and Japanese? Is that is that mm -hmm. Buddhism? Is that mm -hmm. Christianity? Is it just our, our ingrained behavior as human beings? And sure. we can only quantify it as spirituality, but we are driven to be we are driven to be in these spaces. They call to us. They they actually make us healthier individuals and beings, you know, on a, on every physiological level of serotonin and dopamine and, uh, you know, cortisol reduction, as well as purity of oxygen, as well as quality of sunlight, as well as exercise, blood flow, circulation, you know, it's just like, uh, quality of food, you know, coming from an untouched environment is going to be so superior to any cultivated food. It's just like this, you know, radical, massive uh, loss of ourselves in relationship with the environment that we're experiencing right now. And 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 my 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 only solution was to go back to it with the Mariah in the Wild project, and it has really opened up a lot. It has really opened up a lot. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to have seen you know, as as you've been putting out the videos and then also just to see kind of like what, what I like to look at is a lot of um, like science fiction and kind of futuristic uh, artwork and con conceptual stuff, like the juxtaposition of the natural environment versus kind of the built environment, which we kind of always uh, touch on, at least in the lab context. And I think um, Jonas and Eric were sort of talking, they touched about this, with um, Andrew Robeson on, on their podcast, just about the contrast created between, right? We're taking all of these bonsai and we're gonna put them in this industrial building in Oakland that used to function, you know, to maintain the, the trolleys going across the, the bridge. Like 
if we're going to take those same trees and put them out in, you know, a grand natural environment, like, I don't know if they would stand out as much because they're in that, that natural context. There's so much nature that is when we're putting it in that very contrasted space that they really do stand out more. And I'm just curious to know how much does that, the need for contrast in bonsai, right? To take that nature that's over, that's in the mountains or that's removed from us and bring it into the urban or built environment. Does, is that what really fosters that interest and excitement more than if you were to see the same tree in its natural environment, right? It's not as dramatic of a con of a contrast. So I'm just curious to, to, to see what you think about the need for contrast to create that actual awareness rather than actually seeing it in its maybe native uh, environment or natural environment. Yeah, well, I think the the reason to see it and and pursue it in the natural environment is to not have the tree stand out, but to have the tree blend in. How close can we get to an aesthetic that is a representation of that environment in miniature? And then I think the power of it is when you put it in out of that context where it blends in and you suddenly see how foreign it is in that contrasting, oh, yeah. right? Because now you start to recognize like and, and I think the far extent of it is to ask yourself, is this built environment? Listen, shelter is a pillar of human existence. It's one of, uh, one of only a few mandatory pillars for survival. Uh, but have we handled the concept of shelter, you know, and could you have ever, could it have ever worked out a different way for culture to evolve to a degree where arts are pursued, right? Which is really... That means all your needs of survival, shelter, food, right, uh, wellness mm -hmm. are met. Now you can think creatively about all of these esoteric concepts in life. But like, you know, the have we handled that creation of that shelter well? You know, have we handled it in a way that was sustainable and considerate of resources, etc.? And the answer is obviously, at this point, with this population growth and evolution of society, no. You know, we haven't because it, it's coming at the sacrifice of these things that feed our health and wellness as an organism, the, mm -hmm. the natural environments, you know, but, but we are where we are. And I think that contrast and the creation of that dialogue contextually is the most valuable thing Bonsai can do. I think that's why mm -hmm. Bonsai exists. That mm -hmm. is why it's worthy of pursuing because it opens the door to those conversations. But there mm -hmm. isn't just one intended conversation. It's like it could spiral into every every facet of the connection point that a tree can form, you know, with a human being. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's how I experience it anyways. Right. Yeah. 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 I just think for my own personal, I mean, to hear you talk about it in the sense of like, if you, if you can have it blend in, in the natural environment, when you take it and bring it into that built environment, the contrast becomes even more dramatic. Yeah. You know, where if you were to take a bonsai, and put it out in a natural environment, it would probably stick out like a sore thumb. Stands out like um, a sore thumb. It's a really interesting. That's actually a, a, that's a really interesting a, a reverse. A reversal of the project for Mariah mm -hmm. in the Wild is definitely on the horizon. Creighton did a yeah. little something with that. Creighton's done, yeah. Creighton Bostrom, yeah. Bonsai Movement mm -hmm. on Instagram mm -hmm. when he did some of those installations was awesome. That was mm -hmm. freaking it was cutting edge shit right there. Yeah, mm -hmm. interesting dialogue created from that. Same the kind shapes, of, same kind the of forms, a, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Contrast. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. the that's the thing. I think I think bonsai is just I you know, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, so I you can always say tip of the iceberg, but we really are just starting. And and but this was a predictable narrative arc. 
you know, when I came back from Japan, you rec- I recognized going to Japan, that technique was the limitation of my creative creativity, right? So learning the technique from Mr. Kimura, the, the, the horticulture, the, the mechanics, um, understanding how to harness design, coming back to the United States, building more techniques, but more than anything, homogenizing the distribution of techniques, which is why, why we created Mirai Live. Like the more people that have the techniques to reduce technical limitation to creativity, the more creativity we should see. And guess what we're seeing? We're seeing more creativity in bonsai now than ever before, right? So it's mm-hmm. like the equation was predictable. The equation has worked and mm-hmm. is, is working. And now we're just at the very beginning of exploration of actually what bonsai can communicate. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's kind of one of the other questions that I've been thinking about and wondering what your thoughts are is what's the role of technology in bonsai specifically in uh the aesthetics of bonsai because you know you use technology for teaching right teaching bonsai mirai live like you know sets sets the standard um technology for uh you know horticulture care right you're using uh Testing, testing now, yeah, like, lots of uh, testing, right? Like you leveraging technology for the actually the horticultural. So you've got the the teaching, the care, you know, care and technique maintenance. Um, and then though the art though is the one thing that's really, you know, I'm curious to know how does what role do you see technology playing in the aesthetics uh, creation of of bonsai? Yeah, I think well, I think everybody wants to try and assume that bonsai is like some sacred relationship ship between you know tree human and tree like right that's super romantic but like as we continue to lean on more and more technology to answer the otherwise homeopathic uh potentially you know misplaced information that has led to a lot of i would say hardship challenges lack of success etc um you know leaning on that technology you also kind of have to sacrifice a little bit. Uh, you can't, I, I don't think you can have your cake and eat it too to use technology in this way and not use it in this way. I think it's going to find its way into the aesthetic. Now, this is actually where I think it's more powerful and where bonsai is potentially a futuristic illustration of the fate or potential fate of the, the native forest. Because mm-hmm. if technology starts to you know, find its applicability. And I'm not saying technology is doing this intentionally, but I think slowly but surely technology is doing this intentionally and is starting to gain a foothold of self sort of supported evolution and growth, AI being the most overt. And we say, oh, we're humans, we're contributing to this. Let's just be really clear. Technology is a living organism that's evolving on its own through, through a symbiotic relationship with us, which is not far from how the tree and the human have evolved together as well. So like, if you look at that growth, technology eventually could inform and influence, you know, 3D printed containers uh, would be uh, an obvious and very young sort of seed there. But I think like eventually there could be a significant alteration, uh, if enhanced efficiency of the form of the tree, etc. that technology, you know, is either tied into or informing. And then all of a sudden you start to say maybe that in bonsai becomes illustrative of 
technology informing the way that we care for our forests or actually the physical mm. care that's provided to the forest maybe technology becomes an air quality solution maybe technology manages water quality you know degradation maybe maybe technology manages rising oceans or you know freezing and thawing of of glaciers and icebergs and water content and like you could go on and on and on again about where that could go that bonsai could illustrate right and this is far this is some sci-fi stuff now but like bonsai could be illustrating that uh and predicting the future to a degree you know and i think Mm -hmm. it's like you can't just i can't just say i'm going to test and know all of these metrics and now have the testing to be able to use elements that i can see how they adjust the nutritional content of the tree but technology don't inform my understanding of aesthetics or now technology don't manipulate the aesthetics of the tree now technology don't make trees don't adjust trees technology don't save us don't don't manage the forest don't you know it's like it it, that's the trickle down process we're we're in this now we are in this Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and i knew that the moment i knew that the moment that i created mariah live i knew that i was committing to that so it is what it is i don't like technology Mm -hmm. but it certainly is a powerful tool and 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 probably with the direction things are going, we're going to have to lean on it even more, you know, for things, yeah, so, for things to so, be sustainable. So you're not a- actively looking for what it's because of your personal preference against it, you know, per se, or you don't like it, right? You're not actively looking for ways to bring it in faster, sooner than you need to. Is that I'm looking at bonsai right now in my narrative arc of my pursuit of the art form. Bonsai is my connection and representation to it's a time capsule for places that are disappearing for trees that are mm-hmm. disappearing mm-hmm. for aesthetics that are disappearing for an understanding of the factors and elements that act on a landscape that are disappearing and changing it it, it really is i i feel like we are in the swan song of the ancient forest right now mm-hmm. and understanding that and maximizing my exposure to that and using bonsai to conserve preserve and raise awareness of that is my current objective technology is not because there will become there will come a time and i think it's coming very quickly you know 20 percent of the giant sequoias were wiped out in a matter of two years that's not a trend that appears as though it's going to stop uh there will come a time where the places that i feel are worthy of documenting no longer exist and then i can look at you know technology a little a little bit more you know my attention will be but man you know it's like seeing the cypress of point lobos disappear climbing the giant sequoias knowing the bristle cones now have borers in them it's it's a it's an inevitable fate i don't necessarily think it has to be as negative and devastating i think it speaks to a much broader cycle than we as human beings in our short lifespan tend to understand and want to recognize we're a part of but we're undoubtedly Mm -hmm. contributing to rapid changes as well and i think there's still some room and ground to be made up or potentially you know improved upon to reduce that so that so that we can actually process the changes a little bit more positively yeah that's interesting so you're kind of tying it back to then the idea of you know the right place right time uh with world war bonsai exhibit you know serendipity playing a role that you feel you're at the right place in the right time to and have a somewhat of a personal responsibility to document those places those trees and create bonsai that capture that spiritual quality that 
they possess yeah. before they're they're gone. Yeah, I yeah, I do feel I do feel compelled to do that. It's not like I don't feel like I don't feel like um do I feel like it positively contributes to the world? Uh yeah, from like an awareness perspective. It's not so it's not so uh, selfish, but it also is like you know, for all my skill sets and knowledge and education and experiences in life, it's what I have to contribute right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it's like you can look at bonsai and you could say this is a completely either selfish or commercial endeavor and it's neither one of those things for me. I feel compelled to do bonsai from a place deep in my soul. You know, it was like Immaculate Conception when I found bonsai. I saw Mr. Kimura's work a month later at 12 years old and said, I'm going to go study with that guy. Like there was a moment in my life where bonsai became a bigger deal than I than I really ever intended for it to. And I can't, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, it's not in my it's not in my personal makeup to change that. I'm just trying to direct it in positive ways as much as I can. You know, who knows if people will ever see the profundity of bonsai in the way that that we bonsai practitioners see it. You know, I don't know. I but I think people are drawn to it enough that it continues to fan the flame of curiosity of whether bonsai can have that positive and overarching impact in a much broader sense, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to make sense of where it could in the connection, uh, and digestible understanding of the relationship to the native environment is, is where it makes the most sense to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talked about Mariah live being that kind of thing that drives you at this point. Is that, do you feel like Mariah in the wild sure. drives me Mariah, Mariah live was, I, was a, was a Mariah, vehicle, Mariah right? Drive you, yeah. Not the right way. Not in the same way. Not in the same way. Mariah in the wild is your kind of thing that, you know, makes you the most uh, excited to work on and do and think about. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I think there is, um, you know, climbing the, climbing the old growth redwood, and having such a closer proximity to that ancient form, spending now, gosh, you know, half dozen trips in the in the White Mountain bristle cones, including you, you know, including it'll be in the HBO documentary that that the Pacific Bonsai uh, Museum and the story of of that tree, you know, will be part of that as well, coming out very soon. But that was like a very early Mariah in the Wild project too. You know, and probably one of the most greatest demonstrations of of a cherished forest. You know, and I don't think at that time I recognized if I went back to the White Mountain bristle cones and did it again, I think I think there's even more that I could have experienced. That was like I was still feeling out Mariah in the wild, but we're now, if you take that into account, five five projects deep. I mean, we've done we've done a lot with it and recognized, and it just continues to feed. The perception, you, you know, it's like the World War II exhibition, Bonsai as a Time Capsule, I think is one of the, one of the stronger themes of a tree. Being a time mm -hmm. capsule, you know, you, you, mm -hmm. you rings right. and weather, cultural implications being etched on the bark, uh, you know, the tree as a time capsule, Bonsai as a time capsule is, is obvious to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so these places, having that, having that be uh, a, preservation of that ancient aesthetic or that experience or that place that makes total sense to me it's very literal um mm. but but i think i i feed off of trying to present that in a way that connects people connects people who wouldn't otherwise have or develop that relationship to to their understanding of their their role in it all yeah i mean in essence you're becoming the time capsule for those trees in the wild and translating that 
into bone stock. Right? I don't, I don't look at short. I don't look at me as the time capsule. I look at myself as the conduit. Right. I'm the uh-huh. fil- I'm the filtration mechanism because right. now I'm the random act of nature. But I'm not doing it off of an assumed, I'm doing it off of a literal experience of elements and observation of the landscape that's informing that. But I still am the imperfect conduit, right? Mother Nature is, is, is uh, uh, untarnishable when you think about there is not a uh, there is not a reason there is not a impure thought or intention there is not a selfish notion to mother nature it is the most beautiful cause and effect windstorm happens top of tree breaks now we have multiple apical iterations that has bred a beautiful aesthetic I didn't mm-hmm. think I didn't like that apex or it wasn't it didn't conform to, you know, a golden ratio of aesthetic that challenges my ability to believe or, or perceive its beauty. It, it, it's it's untainted. It's pure. And that purity is also something in modern society with social media and everything else that has given me great peace and purpose in pursuing the Mariah and the Wild projects. And that would be the selfish side of it is just leaning on nature to be a uh, a healing mechanism yeah mm-hmm. you know those projects feed feed my soul at this point mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah well they're they're really inspiring i know you know myself personally and a lot of people that i heard from really find value in those yeah, i appreciate um, i appreciate that so thank if you, you if you ever get up to if you ever want to go to mount rainier though let me know oh i do i do i mean we have <laughs> we we are we are you know mariah mariah's <clears throat> the goal of this place being called Mariah is to continue evolving. There will become a time when I can't be as malleable as as I've been this early in my career. I mean, this is the, definitely the youthful part of my career. The human being becomes a less malleable organism over time. Uh, but, you know, the, the company continues to adapt to, I think, where we find purpose. And, and the Mariah and the Wild projects have certainly created a tremendous sense of purpose. So we're trying to lean into that as much as possible. So Rainier could be on the, on, on the list, but, uh, but the next stop is, is Italy and the Puglian olives. So that's going to be really exciting. Sweet. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because they are not going to be here much longer. That's a mm-hmm. fact of the matter. So you're so you're even targeting what you like at risk or maybe the most at risk trees. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. I would say I would say the blue atlas cedar of the Atlas Mountains in Morocco are very high on the list. The Lebanese cedars, uh, the cedars of God are very high on the list. You know, but the projects the projects, I mean the Puglian olives works out. I've I've already scouted the Puglian olives. I've been there with mm-hmm. Ricardo. Um we have work in Italy, um, in in and and have access to material that fits the project, right? That's really gotcha. the that's really one of the crux things is finding the right contextual piece too. So the mm-hmm. other ones, you know, are just aspirational. Where am I going to find a blue atlas cedar that could represent ancient blue atlas cedar in the Atlas Mountains when I, you know, cross the the Magellan Strait to uh, Morocco? You know, Morocco, like I yeah. Is that the is that the Strait of Magellan or is that the Strait of Gibraltar? That's a great question. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Anybody who's anybody who's criticizing my uh, my my this geography. isn't a geography yeah, podcast. Yeah, I'm a bonsai, this is a bonsai podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I would um, like to, I would like to do it enough that we could going back to your going back to your notion of you know what to do with the lab project. I would love to do enough Mariah in the Wilds where we could have a little film. 
have a little film release each year of the Ryan in the wild projects or, 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 yeah. you know, film projects that are dedicated to, uh, documenting the process of bonsai, which the lab project fits in really well to that, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. that would be an ultimate goal at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, uh, I'm assuming you guys will be in force at the, at the expo, um, you know, documenting, uh, that show because no no we won't actually that's the oh. thing yeah we Ooh. we uh real style light and fast yeah i think we're gonna strike hard strike fast no we we did not i really have to say we did not know what the expo was going to be and i think and i think nobody knows what an exhibition like that's going to be and it's starting to get really exciting but we didn't we didn't plan for it. We didn't really know what was going to become of it. We, ha- I honestly had not heard a lot of lot about the expo until we did the jury. Uh, until I until I was part of the jury that selected the, you know the trees, and then yeah. I was like, oh okay, this this is happening. And then we podcasted with Eric and Jonas, and it's like now we understand the judging a little more and some of the contextual background. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, I could, yeah, I can see this being good. Like I want to support anything anybody's going to do in bonsai but the information and i know you and i had exchanged just a little bit of like back and forth like hey have you heard much like i don't really i, I don't really know much about this so it's unfortunate because we did we did not plan to to document it maybe as well mm-hmm. as it deserved but that yeah, it is what it is now yeah well i just think you know those types of events from speaking from a, a time capsule uh, you know standpoint of of marking the community's growth because you know, uh, California is, you know, kind of a land in and of its own, at least how I think of it for bonsai, you know, you have the North and the South and, uh, it's, it's, um, it kind of has its own culture, you know, bonsai identity, mm-hmm. um, that's, that feels distinct and being in our own kind of, at least myself being in my own kind of, uh, micro world up here, you know, I don't quite have the finger on the pulses I used to when I, had more time to like track all the happenings online and stuff when I was, you know, without kids and family. Yeah. But, now you got um, kids and you're a dad. You're like, <laughs> life is happening, right? Like yeah. me too. This is the same thing for me too. You know, I'm really excited to see just kind of what the meet, meet people from the, from that area or just, you know, just kind of connect with the California uh, community in a more direct way. Cause it's been a hot minute since, uh, much as kind of, you know, outside of the golden, or the golden, you know, state convention that happens, um, you know, nothing like this has really happened to this scale where there's a major bonsai show in California to come to. So, um, you know, I'm originally from California, I'm born and raised there. And so uh, it'll be cool to kind of have a sense of like somewhat of a connection to bonsai again to that to that to that area. But um, it would be nice if yeah. California turned into a world bonsai uh, a world bonsai sort of expo site or, you know, the Saitama mm-hmm. world bonsai. Mm-hmm. And then it's in Australia. It seems like California might be ripe again, sort of coming full circle. And I think it's more than California. I think it's the West coast of the United States has, has mm-hmm. you know, and there's enough cachet, there's enough quality trees. And if Jonas and Eric can work out how to smoothly, you know, move trees in and out of California, which has been a major limitation. And it sounds like, you know, they're, they're more or less leaning on, on us to do the work. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's okay Mm -hmm. because we've accumulated that experience too, to be able to make it possible to transport trees safely and move them in and out of California. I think, I think it could be really radical. I think, 
I think that, you know, the politics of California having been one of the early bonsai cultures in North America and the division of North and South and, you know, Golden State being a cutting edge institution uh, or organization that really did uh, organize bonsai in a more formal way in North America into the club model. There's a, a sense of teacher-student. There's a hierarchy of, of practitioner to a degree. Politics did become a part of it. Like, I think I think California in some ways kind of experienced, you know, the boom-bust period of that narrative arc. And what, what it seems like you see in cultures is the boom-bust period, once the bust kind of settles out, you see a real healthy, less bombastic growth, but you see a real healthy, sustainable upward trajectory. And it feels to me like this expo is a demonstration or a discussion of California's bonsai culture maturing. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting because I think everybody has been waiting for and looking at California as to like, when is this thing going to work itself out? You know, or at least mm -hmm. I I have heavily mm -hmm. influenced and informed by California, obviously. But bonsai yeah. culture across North America has, whether you sure. like it or not. Right. Yeah. And even just the moving away from a regional, um, a regional like sort of club, you know, shows not say there's not shows happening, but you know, this is like the first time that there's going to be kind of this, uh, you know, wide net cast for entries and people coming from all across the country, you know, and, and points beyond to California for a bonsai event. Um, we'll see if they, yeah, I, we'll see, see, but that's the question. These are all of the question marks. How wide were, were the entries? How wide, mm -hmm. how, from, from where did they come? You know, and I think the tough thing about California is California, it's almost like the national show in New York is more welcoming to a national community than California. California is slightly isolated not only from the ag policy that exists there but california as a culture is slightly isolated mm. from north america to a degree it's a little mm. bit standoffish not mm. in an unfriendly kind of new york kind of way because you know coming from the west you could say oh man new york is a little bit cold and a little bit direct you know <laughs> but but it is like a there's like a a barrier there yeah yeah there's a very kind of uh tribal type yeah, maybe tribal uh, is a good way to describe it. Yeah. You know, north and south, who would you study with, which club? You know, because there's so many clubs in that state. You know, there is a lot of competition. And I think, you know, the what what Eric and Jonas have kind of built off of that, the the Bay, the Bay Island bonsai model, you know, Boone's uh, study groups club show where, you know, you're kind of pooling your resources to create the best display rather than it being kind of your tree and stand and accent kind of that you've chose by yourself it becomes this much more collaborative let's just see good trees and kind of pool our resources um it does feel like a little bit of a of an opportunity for some comp friendly competition that, yeah. that does exist within the clubs and groups within california to be like hey you've got your friends and let's you know get the best kind of col collaboration you can to get a display in um, rather than kind of the individual um, sort of showing. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see kind of, you know, I'm really, I'm just really excited because it's only a month away um, for a variety of reasons, but to, to just, you know, uh, see what, see what is going to show up uh, is really exciting. It's, it's, it's a month away. 
It is uh, less than a month away. Oh my god! Holy cow! I have I have, yeah. I have totally lost perspective of time. I just had a surge. Just like, yeah. I just had a surge of cortisol shoot through my body when you just said that. Just like <laughs> stress and like oh god, that dreaded feeling. We've got some stuff to finalize. We got a lot of stuff to finalize. Um, Goodness yeah, gracious! Yeah, gotta start building some sleds, some uh, transportation uh, carrying devices for trees, and I gotta build my. I'm building my stands for my display there. So it's, cool. very, it's very straightforward. It's going to be, I, I, in my mind, it looks beautiful, but that means I have to actually do the work to make <laughs> that. Now you've got to make it. that. Yeah. <laughs> Sign, I signed on the dotted line. Dude, Aaron, it's been super good to sit down with you, brother. It's been, it's been yeah, a hot minute, like you said. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's good to catch up. I'm really super yeah. in, energized and uh, inspired by what you're working on. And Likewise. yeah, your, your continued pushing of the boundary uh, in curation is, is inspirational. Yeah, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, sorry, we, we couldn't chat. I was just dominating the conversation so much, but next time. It was wow. tough, yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Hard, hard to get a word in edgewise over here. Yeah, yeah. It, that, I, I was thinking about that halfway through, thinking I, I, I need to stop talking as much. <laughs> but... You know, you guys, you guys were on such a good roll. It's just, it worked out the perfect silent, just the way it was. The silent type, strong yeah. silent type there. The yeah. the, <laughs> the 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 synergy of two minds that have you know because you and I have been collaborating for a long time, Aaron. It's and and bouncing yeah. ideas back and forth. It's been incredibly uh, fruitful to evolve my own you know concepts of bonsai and my my perspectives about what I'm trying to accomplish. Watching you do what you do, so you know yeah. that notion that Pacific Bonsai Museum would be feeding you know the bonsai community i think you guys you talked talked about in the beginning you're getting there seeing now the fruits of your labor over the past eight years you know uh and and i have to say i'm now realizing the power of of the pacific bonsai museum as an institution on me as a professional having mm-hmm. collaborated now for you know over 10 years with the institution mm-hmm. with between Dave and you so it's um mm-hmm. it's just so welcome from uh, the perspective of a professional the relationship that we've forged is really welcome and appreciated so uh thank you for that yeah likewise and we look forward to the the Mirai, so yeah very cool very cool all, all right, right well, we'll good see you guys uh yeah good see luck dropping the tree off uh in november for the wagon so we'll be seeing you soon look forward to it man all right, all right. thanks Aaron. take care yes. Aaron. bye yeah.